Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. Just about everyone has heard the allegations against Bill Cosby of drugging and sexual abuse. We've been reporting on them for years now, along with the court cases that have followed. But comedian and filmmaker W. Kamau Bell says the conversation we've been having so far about Cosby is still incomplete. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi, and today we're going to dig into Bell's new documentary series called We Need to Talk About Cosby shining a light on not only the details of the dozens of rape allegations against Cosby, but also the widespread culture of complicity that many say made such abuse possible. The film premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and has been airing this month on Showtime. And the filmmaker joins us now to talk about why it is that we need to talk about Cosby. W. Kamau Bell, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks for talking with us. Thanks for having me. Also joining us for this conversation, uh, we're going to welcome on as well my colleague, KCBS reporter Melissa Call ross And uh, Melissa, interested to get your perspective in the mix because uh, I know that you are somebody who does not shy away from tough conversations on air. And uh, this film is very much geared towards getting some tough conversations started. And, uh, uh, well, I also know, Melissa, that uh, The Cosby Show is something that you watched a little bit growing up, too. So uh, really glad to have you on. Uh, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Keith. So to start things off, uh, for anyone who has not thought about Bill Cosby in a while, wanted to remind them of what it is that we know. And, well, that would be that about 60 women have come forward to accuse Cosby of drugging and raping them in alleged incidents that span five decades, starting in the 1960s. In 2018, he was convicted of sexual assault, but that conviction was overturned last year on appeal over a legal technicality. So, uh, Kamau, this is a man who has been in the public eye for decades and uh, whose various legal cases have been front page news for years and years now. Uh, but you're saying really this conversation that we've been having has not gone far enough. And uh, so you made this film to nudge us a little bit farther. What was it that made you feel like you needed to make this film? 
I mean, this is really personal to me as somebody who was born in the early 70s and sort of grew up under the umbrella of Bill Cosby and his work. And as a kid, he was on a lot of the kid. As a kid, he was on a lot of the kid shows I was watching. Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, uh, Picture Pages, The Electric Company. At that point, even in the 70s, he was in a lot of commercials. So he was just a part of the wallpaper of black America. And so and then I became a stand up comic in large part because of seeing Bill Cosby himself and and the Cosby show, obviously, is one of the biggest shows in the history of television. And you then you multiply that influence, how it felt for black folks. So I was right there for all of his for the big part of his career. And then when you find out about the allegations and the, and the rape allegations and I just felt like, I, how do I reckon with all this? And I think for me. There's reason to have different versions of the Bill Cosby conversation, but for this, it was about how do I reckon with all of it? Not just concentrating on the good, not just concentrating on the bad. How do I reckon with all of it? And ultimately, what's the lesson that can be learned from this? Yeah, and you lay out those lessons in a number of different ways throughout the show, but really a a big part of the show is establishing why it is that Bill Cosby has been so influential and looms so large in the national culture. Uh, so let's uh, talk a little bit about how uh, Cosby impacted you as well, Melissa, because I, I know that uh, the various Cosby cultural products played a role in uh, your formative years as well. A, a little bit, yeah. The Cosby show premiered when I was something around seventh or eighth grade, something like that. And here was a show. It was wildly, wildly popular, as I, I think most people know. But those of us remember it, who remember it know when it was first airing, know that it was so wildly popular. Everybody watched it. And here was a show about people that spoke and looked and had the same values as people I lived with in my house. And to take it another, even another level, you have Lisa Bonet in particular, who is like me, mixed race. She's half black and half white like I am. And so here was a, a young woman, teenage girl, young woman who looked like me and who was from a family that looked like mine and a a family whose characters had values like mine. And that was something that I took for granted in terms of the class. I didn't think, oh, wow, upper middle class black people. I, I figured black people were just like that. But Denise Huxtable in particular was somebody who looked like me. And it's easier to see with adult hindsight, but that really was was huge for me, even though I didn't watch the show throughout the entire run. I went off to college eventually and kind of got a little bored with it. But I never forgot watching Denise when I was an adolescent. And yeah, I, I had a, a little bit of experience with this as well. I mean, I uh, was uh, a little bit too young to watch the Cosby show when it first came out, but it I did see it in syndication. The thing that really sticks out to me is uh, one of his uh, early stand-up albums was something that was played in my home, and uh, the bit about Noah and the flood is the first time in my entire life that uh, I can remember crying laughing. Uh, you know, just the, one of my very early memories, crying laughing at that bit. So, uh, Kamau, uh, his his body of work is something that held special significance for black America. It's something that touched uh, basically all aspects of American culture uh, as well, though. And then in in your documentary, you uh, document several ways in which uh, his work really helped uh, progress the interests of black workers within the film industry uh, when he worked there, uh, in particular stuntmen. Uh, And and, and so, you know, uh, really important work uh, in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I think that like if this was just a documentary about a comedian who was accused of these crimes and it was just about do you think he's funny or not? I don't think that I don't think the conversation is compelling. I think the fact is with Bill Cosby, he was truly a change agent from the early days of his career. 
on screen, he became the first black man to be co-lead of a, of a series with a white man where he wasn't subservient to that white man. He was just the lead. He won three Emmys in a row for the first three years of I Spy. And behind the scenes, no, quietly, he says, I will not work on this show unless you find me a black stunt performer, which is credited as being the thing that that uh, integrates the, the stunt industry for black performers. And I've read that story as I was reading an article about the filmmaker Noni Robinson, who was writing, doing a film about the integration of the black stunt performers and couldn't figure out what to do with the film because her two-hour interview with Bill Cosby seemed too charged now because he had been accused of all these rapes and assaults in 2014 and 2015. And so I was like, we're going to lose our history if we don't tell this story. Thankfully, now Noni's going to get her documentary out there. But I felt like that was one of those things where it's like, we can't just throw all this away like it's disposable. There's actually some real history here. Yeah, and uh, fair to say that uh, different generations are internalizing these revelations in different ways? Oh, yeah. I think if you're under the age of 35, I think you're probably like, what's the big deal? <laughs> like, this old man uh, has been credibly accused of rape and sexual assault of, of somewhere around 60 women. Why are we still acting like this is there's something to be saved here? I think if you're around, if you're in my generation and a little bit older, so this Gen X baby boomer generation, not for most of your life, if not up until the allegations come out, he's just a hero. And this is true if you're black or not black, white, you could be Asian American, you could be uh, Latinx American, you could be all these other things, but Bill Cosby is just sort of a goal, a shining star of excellence who, who wants you to do be better and be smart and read and all these things and get educated and do good in your community. And so our generation has the hard part going like, but I did things because he told me to. I did. I was good in my life in my community, and I achieved because he told me to. How do I reckon with all these crimes? So yeah, I've definitely seen people who are younger than say thirty five be like, I don't know why you old people are so concerned about this. It's a man who committed over sixty crimes, and yet for the rest, for those of us who lived through it, it's like I understand what you're saying, but a lot of this is a part of my cultural DNA that I'm reckoning with. And and even what about people who are older than than you and I, Kamau, who lived through so much of the, the minstrelly depictions of, of black people on television and then saw the work that he did and, and how it broke that ground. In, in the course of your filmmaking, did, did you speak to people who had a hard time rec reconciling that because of what they lived through and the transformations they saw? Yeah, I think the, the what it seems like to me is the older you are, the harder it is to sort of because you saw it when it was really like on the news important, like when Bill Cosby's on I Spy, at the same time you can wait for the news that evening and see black people getting their butts kicked by the police or getting fire hoses turned on them. So it's like hard to go, this guy was so empirically good at a time when America was so empirically bad and up and in public with its badness that it is hard to accept things that you learn 40 years later as being relevant. I think that's the hard part is like, Whenever you heard about the accusations, it's sort of like you you think they happened when you heard about them. And one of the things the doc really tries to do is go, whenever you heard about them, let's take the timeline back and show you that these things have been going on throughout his 50-year career in show business, almost at the very beginning. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. For anybody just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. Today we're talking about... We need to talk about Cosby. It's a new documentary series by comedian and director W. Kamau Bell that challenges us to grapple with the complex legacy of Bill Cosby in light of what we know now about the dozens of sexual assault allegations against him. Joining us for that conversation, uh, once again, is comedian and filmmaker W. Kamau Bell, and uh, also joined this go-round by my colleague, KCBS reporter Melissa Kalross. Melissa, I'll let you pick it up. So when we talk about the revelations and when these allegations came out and when Bill Cosby then was convicted a few years ago, um, as we've said, the conviction later being overturned, a lot of feelings came up for people, anger, maybe sadness. And they're reflected in the comments of Eden Turrell, who's a model who had a small part on The Cosby Show when she was younger in her early 20s, and who says in your film that Cosby sexually harassed her in his dressing room. But she had very mixed feelings when she heard about that conviction, and you asked her what it felt, or if rather, it felt like a victory, and we have what she had to say. It felt awful. It felt really sad. It felt like, I mean, look, the reality is, is he needed to go to prison. He's a criminal. But was I at home cheering? No, I was, I was like, this is one of the worst, uh, this is just a sad day in the history of black culture. Actually, really more than anything, what I felt sad about is what it did to black, our black culture. And I said to my husband, I just said, this sucks. And that was Eden Turrell in We Need to Talk About Cosby. And she's sharing feelings that I think a lot of people in in the black community had. If uh, somebody like Matt Lauer, um, who is also has been disgraced for his behavior. There are countless white journalists. You have Bill Cosby falling from grace. You have have to reconcile America's dad with what he is alleged to have done. But there aren't a lot of people, a lot of black people in America who have that stature that Bill Cosby had, who have who have that influence that Bill Cosby had, who had the admiration across ethnic groups that Bill Cosby had. Talk a little bit about what you learned in the documentary and maybe how you feel about the impact of that because of the fact that he is a black man and we just don't have that many widely, hugely famous black idols. Uh, Structural and institutional racism works in Hollywood too. So there are certainly tons of black people in our communities who could be big stars and could be role models and could be people that we admired but we don't have access to that path to stardom the way that white people do. So that means that if you have, you know, at the time that Bill Cosby's the biggest star on television, there's not a ton of other black shows on TV. You would think that would have instantly greenlit a bunch of other black sitcoms, but that didn't happen right away. I mean, they had a different world, which was sort of a spinoff of the Cosby show, but it just means that like, even as his, even being the biggest star on TV, he has an outsized presence as a black person because he's not surrounded by a ton of other black people who have anything close to that level of fame. And let's be clear, 
he was called America's dad, not black America's dad, America's dad, which meant that white people had taken him into their heart as their TV dad, too. So that gives you access to a level of power and finances that most people, even who are big stars, don't touch. At one point, he sort of throws out sort of casually that he makes $65 million a year. Like he doesn't even, it's not even like he's sort of excited about it or bragging about it. He's just comparing himself to a reporter who makes $700 a week. And it sort of shows that like he's living in a stratosphere that few people ever get access to. And, and you know, and let's be clear, that kind of power doesn't, doesn't make most people better people. But if you are a person who actually is engaged in doing things that I believe are criminal, it gives you access to a higher level of protectors and a higher level of people who, who have a financial interest in you and a higher level of criminality, in, in my opinion, which is what we sort of talk about in the series. But he's not the only one. As you say, you mentioned Matt Lauer. There's Harvey Weinstein. There's many other people we can name. It just when Matt Lauer falls, there's not a sense from white America that we've lost one of our great white men. Well, and I think that that speaks to one of the main themes of the documentary, which is that there are these blind spots in our society, whether we're talking about the film industry or whether we're talking about the uh, ways that we have a society treat people in positions of power. Uh, and, and within those blind spots, people are able to do some pretty uh, despicable things. Um, and you really highlight the fact that there were plenty of warning signs throughout the course of uh, Bill Cosby's career. Um, I'm going to set up a, a clip right here just to demonstrate that, you know, we could point to the procession of uh, models that uh, came to visit Bill Cosby in the dressing room. We could point to the references he made in a number of different ways in his material uh, about uh, substances that are arousing, uh, you know, for example, in the film, you noted in particular that he was very open about his enthusiasm for the uh, aphrodisiac Spanish fly. Uh, and one of your commentators, Mark Lamont Hill, he's a professor at Temple University, uh, discusses that fact further in the film. From almost day one was telling us that he was willing to and didn't think anything was strange about putting things in women's drinks to get them to do what he wanted them to do. So when we fast forward, it's not a huge leap to think that what Cosby was talking about in the 60s, he was doing. So there were all these signs, uh, Kamau. What does that say about the sorts of blind spots that were out there that made this possible? I mean, all of this, again, it's bigger than Bill Cosby. It feeds into this, this, uh, this the rape culture. Rape culture is this pervasive idea through American society that... Uh, men, specifically heterosexual men, get away with the type of behavior that other people who are not heterosexual men cannot get away with. Or that they or they're or that if you have a problem with the things they're with the jokes they're making, with the ways they're behaving, that you're being sensitive, it's not them. And what it does is it ends up covering up a lot of really awful and sometimes criminal behavior because the line of what is acceptable keeps sort of like includes more and more things that are toxic. So I think the idea of being of like really understanding that there's no such thing as locker room talk. If you're in the locker room and you're and you're and the dude in the locker room says makes a joke about how he raped somebody, we can't sort of brush that off. Rape culture says, don't worry about that. That's not he's just talking. Or if he says something about uh, a woman who that is disparaging of that woman because he doesn't respect her, just brush that off. This is just talk. And I think what it does, it ends up covering up and allows people to sort of hide in plain sight. And the idea that a comedian who was quote unquote family friendly in the 60s 
would get away with a joke about how he wants to find a substance called Spanish fly and give it to a women so they will become amorous. And it's sort of regarded as just a family-friendly joke is about the pervasive nature of rape culture. Have we learned anything from this episode as a result? And maybe episode is a small word, but here we have America's dad. Here we have this man that so many people across ethnic groups and cultures looked up to. And then we find out he is allegedly engaged in, engaged in this incredibly despicable behavior. Are, are we learning to pay better attention? Is, is that something that maybe you came across as you made this series? There are, you know, one of the things we wanted to highlight in the series was the activism that the survivors are engaged in, even outside of whatever their dealings with Bill Cosby or any legal entanglements they have with Bill Cosby. So to me, some of the strongest work in the series is showing how those women, many of them have decided what their job is to do is to uh, eliminate the statute of limitations around the country on rape, because the way rape works in this country, and I'm not saying this for you all, you understand what I'm talking about for people listening, is that if you... People say, why didn't you come forward? Well, it's again, it's about how America works and how rape culture works because you feel shamed and you feel like you did something wrong often. So you don't come forward. Well, let's say in six years you decide I'm ready to come forward. Well, in a lot of places, the statute of limitations is four years. So you've missed your window, even though in the, if, the, if we're talking about a crime of murder, there's no generally no statute of limitations on murder. If you decide in six years you want to say, I know about a murder, you can come forward and tell that story and you can try to get justice. They still have to prove the case, but you can get you can try to you can start to work the mechanisms of justice. Now, the fact is, is that so to see that these women are like, it's not just about them trying to take down Bill Cosby. They're trying to create a more just America and an America where survivors feel like they have more access to justice. To me, that's where change is happening. But if we're talking about the mechanisms of Hollywood, as we've seen through the Me Too era, which Bill Cosby is really post Me Too, uh, but as we've seen even with like stories like Joss Whedon, everything's not every all the bad behavior is not criminal, but there is still a lot of room in show business for people who are at the top of the call sheet to get away with behavior that other people could not. And again, some of that behavior is criminal, but some of that behavior is just abusive, which is bad enough on its own. So I think that there is still work to be done, and I think the doc. That's what I hope comes out of the doc is like, let's start doing that work. Let's not have to make a we need to talk about somebody else in this on the same subject. Let's let's not try to make a sequel to this one. Let's do the work to actually figure out how to create a safer, more supportive environment for survivors of sexual assault where they are invited to healing, justice, and they're invited. They feel invited to tell their story without being judged. And I think it goes down all the way down to like sex education in schools. I've done some work in United Shades where sex education in the many schools is often just abstinence and not talking about predators and behavior and intimacy and partner violence and acquaintance rape. That that's where we need to be talking about so people can and 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 less about uh, just don't have sex. Yeah. Well, we uh, we have about five or six minutes left in the program, and I think that that is the next good place to take our conversation is exactly what does this work look like in your view? Uh, real quick, I'm going to reintroduce everybody one last time. Once again, this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. Today on the program, we're taking some time to talk about Bill Cosby, once considered America's dad until a flood of allegations of sexual assault burst out into the open. Now comedian and filmmaker W. Kamau Bell says that we do need to talk about Cosby, uh, and uh, he's made a film about it, uh, helping us come to terms with the man's complex legacy. Also joining us for this conversation, KCBS reporter Melissa Colross, and we've been hearing from her as well. So, uh, Kamau, let's talk about why this conversation 
is so difficult to have. And it's it's kind of striking that you yourself were moved to make this very difficult uh, documentary because, you know, you're a successful guy. You've been a comedian for many years. You uh, obviously a lot of people in the Bay Area will know about you because uh, you've done a lot of uh, comedy around town, lived here for a number of years. You have your uh, CNN documentary series, United Shades of America. So you've done a lot. You didn't you didn't need to make this documentary and yet you felt compelled to do so. What kind of <laughs> what what was pushing you towards this bright flame, I guess? You know, it's funny. I keep being asked that question like, I, I, all I can tell you is that, then it's and if you look through my career, this is clearly a, a, an issue I have. I am drawn to difficult conversations. Uh, you know, the first thing I ever did on CNN was talk to the Ku Klux Klan. And if you'd asked me the day before I did it, why was I doing it? I'd be like, ah, I really need this job. But like, <laughs> like I, I couldn't tell you. I just was like, there's something about, can I pull this off? Can I have this conversation? Can I be myself? Can I learn something from this? Is there something teachable from, even if this conversation between me and the Klan isn't good, is there something the viewer can get from this that will help them understand racism in America more? And I think that, you know, throughout the show, I have been drawn to not all that sort of laden with danger, but just conversations with like people whose family member had just been killed in gang violence. And we were a few days before and we were at a wake at their house and I come in because I want to talk to them about life on the Pine Ridge Reservation and how this loss of their family member connects to how uh, indigenous people in this country have been treated by the government. You, I was like, why are we going to their house? They just had a, they just had a wake. This is, they don't know me. The show is not any sort of hit at that point. But I was like, they invited me in. I have to do this. So I think there's some about me that is just the conversations that I wrestle with the most are the ones I want to figure out how to have productive versions of in public. And this was a conversation I wrestled with. But I think it just was like sort of this it just came together very quickly in a way that I think if I had to like go out into the marketplace and pitch it to 20 different outlets I would have probably lost steam because it would have been it would I would have been clear on how hard it was but it came together fairly quickly between the people who were working on it and before I knew it we were in it but yes throughout the process I was like maybe Showtime will call me and say they that they don't want it <laughs> maybe 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 something will happen that I won't have to do this but that never happened and then once we got really deep in it once we got survivor stories in it, I was like, I can't quit on this because these survivors have shown up and really given me a gift and I have to share this with the world. You know, you talked a lot about um, in our conversation about the way Hollywood would create its stars. You talked a lot about how Bill Cosby blurred the lines between his characters and himself. What can we take away from culturally how we regard famous people and how we connect with art, but then maybe think that we connect with these people and and certainly Mercifully, not all famous people do the things that Bill Cosby is alleged to have done, but they are all human beings and they are flawed like we all are flawed in in some ways. Is there something that we can take away from this in terms of how we regard fame? I think we have an unhealthy relationship with with celebrity in this country, (laughs) which I say that like I'm the first person to say that. But I think that like we have to stop believing the hype. I think we can go. Thank you, person who made a good music music album that I enjoy. I don't know why I sound like a robot, but thank you for this <laughs> for this music that you have shared with me. I really appreciate that. I don't need to follow you on Instagram. <laughs> I don't need to uh, 
I don't need to to find out what's going on in your life at all times. I don't need to weigh in on your divorce. Like I don't need to. I need to just sort of appreciate the thing you gave me that I appreciate. I don't need to become a part, a stand for you or a member of your army. I need to just sort of appreciate the thing I appreciate. And I think that we just the industry is set up to like turn people, especially the younger you are, the younger that you get, sort of deliver this into sort of like. Devote devotees of these people in a way that is unhealthy, and I think we see that right now with celebrities out there, where it's like it's just not that serious. And what you're doing is you're feeding into that person's bad behavior often, because you sort of are like you're forgiving the stuff that is like clearly extreme because you can't wait for the next album to come out. And I think we have to really sort of start to go, how can I can we clear out this toxic relationship? I think there was a, a a joke I've been hearing recently, and I don't know where it came from, but it was like. Uh, Kim Kardashian and Kanye, will you please take us out of the group chat? <laughs> like, like the idea being that like there's clearly things happening between them that they need to figure out. But right now we're all experiencing it and then sort of like invited to weigh in on it in a way that is not helpful to any of it. You know, so I think we just have to really like start to understand that the product they deliver you can be that should be enough. And, and if they tell you that it's good to donate to this cause, then donate to that cause. But that doesn't make them a good person. It just means that they told you to donate to a good cause. I think we get caught up in the, it's like we don't have a royal family in this country. So we sort of have a bunch of different royal families based on social media <laughs> follows. Yeah, I, I like that. I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, America holds court on uh, its Twitter feeds. It's uh, American royalism, I guess. Uh, but on, on, on that note, we are going to have to round things out right there. Uh, we have been speaking once again to comedian and filmmaker W. Kamau Bell, talking about his four-part documentary series, We Need to Talk About Cosby, which has been airing this month on Showtime. It's also streaming online right now. W. Kamau Bell, thanks very much for coming on. It's been an insightful conversation. Thanks for having me. And want to thank my co-host this go-round, uh, KCBS reporter Melissa Kalross. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Keith. Always appreciate being here. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.